If we can't talk to each other, we're not gonna make it. Sometimes I feel like I, I've bitten off more than I can chew. Most of the time, I work in a glass jar and lead a very uneventful life. A face full of glass hurts like hell when you're in it. That's weird. That glass looks half full to me. Eating glass. Eating glass and staring into the abyss. Glass? Who gives a shit about glass? Who the fuck is this? It's kind of part of our culture to eat glass. Hey, get some safety goggles next time. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Hey everybody and welcome to Chewing Glass, the show where we talk to developers building on the Solana ecosystem. Today I'm joined by John Cinque, um, an engineer for the Corp Solana protocol. Uh, he's worked everything um, from the token swap to stake pools and more recently the poorly named Token 22 program, uh, which I'm sure many of you guys are familiar with. Hey John, how's it going, man? Yeah, pretty good. How about you, Chase? Not too shabby. Uh, Man, you and I go sort of way back. I think I probably started, I started like mid um, 2021. I think, I think recently just found out that you did, you started like not too long before that. I think maybe shortly after the, the launch of mainnet or something like that. Is that right? Yeah. So I, I joined in August of 2020. That was the official uh, start date. It was uh, around the time when Solana mainnet was launched starting to pick up some steam. Nice. Well, cool, man. The way you, we usually like to start this show out, um, like obviously you've been around here for now, um, coming up on three years, chewed a ton of glass, but want to find out a little bit about John and like historically, like were you, uh, were you a CS major or were you, um, were you an engineer by trade in the early days of your career? Like how, how did it all get started for you? I uh, actually studied physics in college, uh, took a few computer science courses and the whole time thinking like, oh, this computer science thing is pretty cool. And then yeah, coming out of college, you see everyone getting, you know, six figure job offers <laughs> and you're like, that's pretty cool, isn't it? Right out of college. So uh, I found a way to parlay the physics into more CS work. Yeah, there, there's actually, there's a couple in the ecosystem. I know Mert is a big physics physics guy, TJ Littlejohn, mm -hmm. who helped uh, with Solana Pay. Lot, there's lots of big physics guys like in the in the ecosystem. What's okay? So you you were physics. You saw all your friends making a lot more money in you out of college, and you were like, "Well, shit, I sh I should probably go see if I can do that thing." Uh, so like, how where'd you go from there? <laughs> Actually, yeah, it was pretty funny. It was specifically, and I know this is maybe going to make me sound a little tooly, but it was seeing <laughs> uh, the Social Network, the movie. I was like, oh man, yeah, that is really cool. You just make things with code and then it becomes this like big, huge thing. I was like, I kind of want to do that too. So um, yeah, I got a, my first job was at Bloomberg uh, in New York. They have a special program where they take people that studied like math or uh, physics or electrical engineering and they take you through four months of training and then they put you in a team as a junior engineer. So it was really like the perfect uh, job for me. Wow, I didn't realize that was a thing. So basically, they just like because I mean, I went to school. I paid a lot of money for my um, computer science degree, and then like pretty much right as soon as I graduated, these like boot camps and like all these sort of like learn to code things where people paid substantially less money and got the same jobs as me started to spin up. But I didn't realize groups like Bloomberg sort of take like relative, re relatively like mathematical or scientific people and then taught them how to code that's that's actually pretty interesting how was that like did they start you out on like 
JavaScript or like, is it pretty like intensive? It's pretty intensive. I mean, it's, it's like getting paid to go to a one semester of college and the, the way that they thought about it. And I thought it was, it was brilliant. Cause like you think you go back to the early 2010s, that's when Facebook is becoming huge. Like LinkedIn had a record uh, IPO in 2011. This is a time when computer science, uh, people majoring in computer science coming out of college were at like the highest premium possible. And Bloomberg knew that they were competing with the likes of Google and Facebook and Amazon and all of those. And they were like, hmm, we're not as big a name as they are. Like we're big, but we're not as going to be as well known to them. Instead of paying ridiculous amounts of money for CS majors, why don't we pay a little bit less money for math and physics majors and then just teach them to code in four months? You know, I actually... They typically, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Uh, they typically know you have to know how to code a little bit at least. It's not just like total newbies. I actually really like that and not just for the like, oh, this will like we'll pay people less because like they don't know how to code. It almost like adds a little bit of loyalty, like they're giving you something that you would have had to pay for outside of that. So there's like that's actually an incredibly smart um, thing to do which is somewhat what I'm actually doing right now by um, helping build education globally and making sure that that's free to everybody. So like it's, that sort of like rings true and like that's actually a pretty really cool piece of information. I had no idea that that's how uh, Bloomberg like in the early days trying to get some really good engineers didn't have to compete with that. And they probably got some quality engineers out of that strategy just by like focusing on like specific um groups of people such as yourself from like physics because obviously i think i think i don't know you could probably argue this but i feel like physics is much harder than most software engineering but tell, <laughs> you tell me this you've been working on solana core protocol stuff was your phys was your toughest physics class harder than the work that you're doing right now yeah, of course. <laughs> you know, you think about the. I mean, there are different types of, I shouldn't say it's like completely as easy because like sometimes you need to look at like an entire architecture of a system and especially for things like uh, the gossip protocol in Solana where it's like every single byte makes a difference. You know, you're right. really the, the most constrained resource that you have on the validator is going to be bandwidth. So you have to like really figure out the optimization problem there, but it's still not, you know, uh, it's not quantum mechanics. Right. So like, but one is sort of based in math and the other one's a little more based on logic. Is that fair? Or is, is that sort of off the mark yet again? No, no, that's, that's actually probably the best way of putting it. All right. So Bloomberg taught you how to code. Um, what happened after that? Did you stick around there for a while or did you have like, but like, let's like le leading up into before, like you even like cared or gave us like knew much about crypto, like what was the sort of career arc for you uh, after Bloomberg? Uh, so after Bloomberg, uh, so I was at Bloomberg for five years total between uh, New York and London. And what and languages were that, you coding in? Sorry, I wanted to it get was, that one. Uh, oh yeah, sure. It was C++ for the most part and then some JavaScript for the front end. Cool. And then actually some Python too. They sort of brought everything in, but it was C++03, which was not very fun. <laughs> <laughs> They kept talking about being like, oh, we're going to do C++11 soon. And it was always like, this isn't going to happen. I wonder now, should ask some of my friends that are back there to see if they ever finally went 64-bit and things like that. Um, but yeah, so after that, uh, it's a bit of a non-traditional path. Around the time that I was uh, in London at Bloomberg, 
This was end of um, 2015. Yes, end of 2015. I started uh, teaching yoga <laughs> while I was also working at Bloomberg. And so that was going really well. I was like picking up more and more classes to the point where I was like really burning out badly because like having a full-time job and then picking up another job that was becoming full-time wasn't very fun. So eventually I was like, I think I can do this and just be a yoga teacher full-time and maybe pick up like uh, 20 hours of programming a week. So that was sort of the plan. And uh, eventually I quit Bloomberg, did the yoga teaching full-time, picked up a little job, a little uh, job for a website, didn't really work out. And then Eventually, funds started to run a little low. And then start of 2016, I was starting to look for some other jobs. And randomly, uh, a guy I knew from uh, way back when, my brother's best friend, gets in touch with me. He's like, hey, are you looking to do any uh, any programming work? I said, sure. He said, it's PHP. I'm like, yeah, sure, I'll do it. He's like, yeah, it's for this crypto guy. I'm like, okay, whatever. And that's sort of what got me into it. He was building essentially a Bloomberg terminal for crypto. So bringing together all sorts of exchange information, he was he was doing arbitrage in 2016, which was uh, a very profitable strategy for certain uh, very well-known figures in the crypto space. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. So when but when before you had that conversation, like being in somewhat nerdy circles, were you already aware of Bitcoin? Like like in in the prior years, did were, like did you did you buy Bitcoin, or were you like, what the hell is this thing? I didn't. I uh, We talked about it back when I was at Bloomberg quite a bit. I remember in 2013, yeah, having a conversation, uh, being like, oh man, maybe we should buy into this. I'm just like, okay, whatever. And I didn't. <laughs> Probably should have. That was around the time where people started talking about it. So that was 2016 and you joined a team to start building PHP stuff to do um, to do ARBs. And and you did that for, for a while or what? So yeah, I did that for... Uh, all of 26, sorry, all of 20, oh no, we're in 2017 now. So it was, uh, sorry, end of 2017 that um, I've been working with them for a while. They wanted to actually bootstrap a company out of it. And so they brought me on board as CTO uh, for this company, which was making the terminal, which was fetching data, which was allowing you to write scripts in essentially C Sharp, which would then execute on our server. So sort of like a platform provider, uh, automatic trading, things like pretty a project so that has turned like out a lot of other people. Was Sorry? this using like an early stage Oracle for this? Like, early, like how was that working? Like, what was reading the the prices for there? Like, to to create this terminal. Sorry, you said an early stage what? Oracle. Oh no no! This was all just exchanges. None of this was on chain. Uh, you know the uh, joke. I I had a friend who was like really into Ethereum, and I would talk to him about what I'm doing, and he said, oh. Yeah, centralized exchanges. He's like, that's kind of the least interesting part of crypto. And he was right. <laughs> nice. Um, so like you, to jump back into it, like you, you were there, the, you got, you became CTO. Like, did you like, lead, like leading up into Solana was like, was that the lead into it? Or was there anything else like after that? No, that was pretty much it. Um, I started, I worked with them for, I guess, 2018, 2019, they pulled the plug in early 2020. And so at that point, I was just doing more odd jobs. I decided to pick up Rust in that time. It was 2020, March of 2020. And I was like, oh, I think this Rust thing is going to be a big deal. Why not? Um, I've got a little more free time. How did you come to that conclusion about Rust uh, at a time like in, in 2020? Uh, yeah. How, how did you come to that conclusion? 
you know, it's fine. I can't exactly remember what my thought process was. I think it was because I did uh, the Recurse Center in fall of 2017, which was eventually how I got connected to uh, Solana. And while I was there, a lot of people were work- were talking about Rust and being like, oh yeah, this is like the next big thing. This is going to be huge. And I saw that it kept like gaining more and more steam. It hit 1.0 and I'm like, all right, let's finally see what all this is about. I had done some OCaml before and I was like, okay, this is kind of like a mix of OCaml and C++ and sort of like the best parts of modern C++. I'm like, all right, let's 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 give this a shot. I got nothing else going on. Let's see what happens. <laughs> so you must have been hanging out, hanging around in some really nerdy circles um, to to get to, to <laughs> yeah. Was this was this from your yoga classes that you were meeting these people that were into Rust, or was this just like random internet forums? No, no, this was um, well started like I said in 2017. This was at the Recurse Center, which is um, a self directed sort of sabbatical program for developers, where you typically do a stint of either oh boy, I'm, I can't remember. I think it's six or twelve weeks, or maybe it's eight or sixteen weeks. I can't remember the exact number. And so you go there and it's completely free form. You just do whatever you want for that time. I decided to get into some open source contribution, learn a tiny little bit about ML, but really more about uh, doing some open source work, um, which eventually I used for the work in the um, uh, crypto trading company. Cool. All right. Now, this is my favorite question like to always ask. Like, I've never done it because you're the first... Um, like core protocol engineer we've actually like core contributor really that we've ever had on here um at least a substantial core contributor like you joined solana labs in late 2020 who found you and how did they convince you to go build on this thing that nobody had any clue would ever work or even further than that, lots of people were claiming that that it had no chance in hell to ever work. Like, like who 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 found you, and how did they convince you to do it? Yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, this was back in the day, so they. Um, so it was through the Recurse Center. I had been interviewing for jobs. I was looking for some Rust jobs because I was like, oh, you know, I spent all this time learning this thing. May as well try and use it. And um, it sort of was like the perfect um, combination of things. They were looking for someone that had sort of built crypto trading applications. Uh, Essentially, what we had done at the previous place was create a runtime for people to create their own um, uh, automated trading bots. And so then that was a really nice sort of, and we'd also worked on creating an exchange and we were eventually going to just hook it up to a smart contract on Ethereum. So there was like a lot of correspondences that they were looking for and someone who worked in Rust uh, as well. Uh, So the Recurse Center was like, hey, do you want to talk to this company? I think Anatoly's wife did it, but I can't remember Oof. when exactly. So it was through Anatoly's wife <laughs> that um, they that the Recurse Center found me and put me in touch with Anatoly and Greg in July of 2020. That's that a brand new one for me. Intro, intro to Solana via Anatoly's wife. Like that's that's first I've heard that. That might have be the first. Uh, yes, that is the first. Um, so that's a pretty <laughs> interesting story. So you met so you met them. You met with with Tolly and and Greg. Fitzgerald, one of the early co-founders, if for some of you listening who don't realize that there were multiple in the early days, and Greg was one of the huge contributors. I think he actually did a, a large amount of the documentation, from what I uh, from what I recall, um, and the the early stage documentation that wasn't perfectly readable um, to learn how to build on Solana. 
but very clear that, though. That's a yeah. Bear, that's a that's a story for another time. So what happened after that? You met them. Um, did you actually have? I, I know in those days there wasn't any sort of real um, like. I think when I started the coding challenges was like here's a PR. Go do this. Come back when you're done. And if you do a really good job, we'll hire you. Yeah, that was that was actually at uh, at that point too. So they gave me. Um, I can't remember exactly what it was, but it had to do with the uh, the bank's client, which is only really used for testing at this point. And uh, they were using TarPC, which is uh, an RPC framework written by Google in Rust. And it, it's a bit of a finicky framework. It does like it's sort of their macros sort of do a lot for you without you knowing. So um, there was a problem that they couldn't reuse a client twice for like two requests at once. So they wanted to figure out like how they could write it to do that. And as it turns out, the way that TarPC was done back then, you sort of had to use a workaround in order to do it. So I was like fiddling around with like async lifetimes. This was like async rust at that point was really, really tricky. If you think it's tough now, like back in 2020, it was way harder. So figuring out how to make everything work in order to reuse this client. And so eventually I posted an issue with a workaround to the Google um uh, GitHub. And I guess that was enough to convince Greg. <laughs> That's awesome, man. Like, this is just like another one of those stories where like, just Web3 is much different process for hiring than the than pretty much any other industry. Um, it's just like, do you have what it takes to solve some prob- really hard problems? Um, and if the answer is yes, you'll probably get hired. Um, so that's a super cool story. Um, and I'm trying to think what else would be yeah so after you so you you got hired and then like we i sort of alluded to this in in the intro of the show but you um you started with token swaps was that like like day one they were like hey john did the token swap program exist or did you or did you did did you create it and then or did you take it over so it existed in a really broken way. <laughs> like, I think it was something that Anatoly had thrown together in like a couple of hours. And um, they're essentially like, hey, we need to have Uniswap on Solana. Go ahead and do it. And like, build tools <laughs> didn't super exist. It was just like this build.sh script that we used. There was no documentation really about how to write programs. So I had to like learn how to write Solana programs. I had to constantly bug. It was like Jack and Tierra for the most part. I had to bug them constantly because there was no documentation about how to do things and they would like point me to the right places well i think for you you gave back substantially like you might have had to bug those guys but when i first joined i tried to bug everybody and you were like one of the very few like engineers at the time that would give me the time when i was asking a million questions i like had no idea I was like, John, like, there's no documentation for how to do X, Y, Z. It was like, yeah, we just tell people to go look at the tests. And I'm like, that's not going to work. So we have to figure out a better way. But anyways, to your credit, you spent countless, I don't even know how many days this would add up to in the early stage. You and the rest of the core engineering team, like answering questions, just one off the same question every day over and over and over again. And like, that's actually how I learned like what the actual issues were because it's like, how do I transfer soul? Like, that's like how little information was out there on the internet. Or how do I m- create a token? How do I send an SPL token? That didn't exist unless 
you were somebody who just going to dig into the code and look at the tests and figure it out. So like, it was a very interesting time, but you were definitely there to, to help me out. So that token swap program, did you pretty much, that thing's not really under, um, it, it's not still being worked on, right? This was just like an early days program. Like once it was good, it was good. Yeah, pretty much. We haven't really touched it in a long time. Uh, it's funny, every once in a while, uh, there's someone from the Jupiter team who will reach out to me and be <laughs> like, oh, by the way, X project is still using it. X project is still using it. Like, you'll just tell me about all these different projects that are somehow still using it. I'm like, great. Hey, as long as the, you know, the worst feeling is as a developer is when you like work on something, you write a bunch of code and it never gets run. That's the worst feeling. So even if it's like old code that may not be perfect, I'm happy that it's still being used. Yeah, I think like I partially agree, but like let's say you build something, reference implementation that never actually gets used by itself, but somebody forks it, keeps it open source, and then like th morphs it into this massive beast of a program. Sure, it's like nice that somebody used yours, but like obviously your swap program was a reference implementation for pretty much every DeFi protocol out there today. You know, like I doubt anybody didn't look at that to build out their own swapping mechanism. And if you did, like, what are you even doing? Like, at least take a look at it. So it's, I think the ripple impact of something like the stake or the swapping program is, is, is far greater than, than it might feel like, even though you do hear about people still using it today, which is interesting. Um, so after, so in parallel, we're after that stake pools. Um, maybe you could explain just, I know most people understand what stake pools are, but like you, you were working on that program. Did you build that one from scratch first off? No. So this one actually, it was funny. We had um, a developer from Everstake that was kind of on loan <laughs> who would like send me these like thousand line PRs uh, and we would go back and forth on them for a long time in order to get them merged in. And so this developer, uh, essentially he got like the base of it, excuse me, working. And so once the base of it was working, I remember having a conversation with uh, Anatoly and Michael where I was like, this is what you, like we had, we'd spoken about it before and sort of talked about the design for it. And he, they were looking at him like, oh man, this isn't really going to be very usable, is it? I'm like, this is what we talked about. I said that it wouldn't be usable. And they're <laughs> like, we probably need to get this to be usable. And so then I spent all of 2021 getting it to be usable pretty much <laughs> and so just for the for the listeners who don't who who, un, who hear the word stake pools all the time but don't know what they are could you like describe like what what that is and like what's its function yeah sure sure sorry um the now they're they're often referred to as uh, liquid staking protocols it's liquid staking is i would say a bit more specific version of a stake pool uh, but the idea is that people pool together their soul into a protocol, into one so-called pool that's managed by one entity. And that entity would be the one that actually distributes their soul to be delegated to validators. So right. uh, a thousand people can come in, deposit some soul into the pool. They get back a token, which represents their percentage of owner or their um, share of ownership in the pool. Then the uh, manager goes off and stakes the soul to whichever validators they want. And then over time, the uh, soul in the pool accrues, the number of tokens stays unchanged. So this way, whenever they want to go get their soul back, their share of the pool stays the same. They get back more soul. It's uh, the way to uh, get your rewards through a token. Yeah. So, I mean, that was a, that was a good explanation, but essentially this is, this is a mechanism to help with decentralization, um, like effectively. 
It can be. It also cannot be. Right. <laughs> it can right. be. It, so it can be all sorts of things. Yeah. It depends on who and what they're trying to accomplish. But like, it can be an effective way to decentralize the network without having to manually, individually stake to every validator by yourself. Correct. Yeah. Okay. Uh, cool. So next, my favorite topic um, is going to be, uh, as I mentioned again, the poorly named Token 22 program. So first of all, before we get into all of that work that I think you mentioned you worked a couple years on, how was that name decided? You know, it's funny. I can't remember exact. I think it was end of 2021 after the first breakpoint. And um, I remember having a conversation with, uh, well, first, uh, Michael and Anatoly were separately reached out to me being like, hey, uh, you know, we've got this idea for this new token program. You know, do you mind working on it? I didn't realize I had other ideas of what I wanted to work on, but I was like, okay, this sounds like it's important. I'll go ahead and work on it. And we didn't really decide on a name. We were just like, all right, well, we know it's going to be something that we work on in 2022. So let's just call it Token 2022 and we'll eventually come up with a better name. 2022 came and went. No one came up with a better name. <laughs> and now here we are, end of 2023. The thing is still not like officially recommended on mainnet. And we'll only really have everything in place for the marquee feature confidential transfers in 2024. <laughs> yeah, so it's... The token twenty or token twenty two program has had a lot of buzz on Twitter about that name. Actually, I just have to tell this story because somebody was saying the the core engineers should have the option to name at least one program once per year. And Jacob Creech tweeted, "That's how you get token twenty two, which was hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> That's very funny. Uh, uh, but anyways, so tell us tell us a little bit about like maybe just like how that was you spent two years sort of developing this um and like how that was and sort of like what's the impact of token 2022 yeah yeah i mean I, it wasn't like two years straight it was a lot of off and on stuff as other stuff came up you know i also when projects sort of get a little like slowed down or are in like a pretty good place sometimes i'll like go and look at the core team and see like what's needed on the core validator side you know, one of the things that we're uh, thinking about is eventually increasing the transaction size in order to accommodate the confidential transfers in token 2022. So there's like, wasn't two years straight. Um, right. But I guess to give you the big, uh, the big picture of it, uh, the concept is we wanted to give more functionality at the token protocol level. People have done very clever things in order to make uh, tokens more functional. Able to do more things like, uh, for example, the Metaplex metadata program does a whole lot of extra stuff on top of it. Very cool, super complicated for them. Like, <laughs> in order to do all of that work to like freeze tokens and then do all the uh, things that they need to, uh, we wanted to add functionality directly back at the protocol level. But whatever we add, it uh, can't necessarily impact those who don't want the new features. So the idea is you opt in to new features on your mints through extensions. So that's sort of like the big thing is you can add extensions for closing your mint, for confidential transfers, for making your tokens non-transferable, for uh, putting in uh, a transfer fee, for making it look like it's garnering interest, like all, all sorts of stuff. 
So basically, token program is the the new token program is allowing sort of like an a la carte list of different like functionalities, like on top of like just the traditional being able to mint and send tokens and and do a couple extra things. And how 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 complex was that work? Was it just a matter of time, or was like there's or was it a matter of complexity? Like what was what was the sort of TLDR on like? why it like obviously you were on and off different things was, was it like challenging to, to build that specific program or was it just like a matter of like this is gonna take some time we need to get it right or or was there more to it than that it wasn't i mean the the most complicated part is the confidential transfers like that is like really complicated stuff although i will say like if you have a moment read sam's white paper which describes the whole protocol. Like, I'm not a cryptographer, but reading through it, I'm like, oh yeah, this makes perfect sense. This is It's not that complicated, but it requires a lot of new runtime uh, functionality in order to do it. Things like curve operations, um, which is mostly curve operations, and then uh, another native program in order to check that proofs are valid, uh, that people upload for their transfers, for you know whatever ZK stuff they want to do with their tokens. Um, but then the rest of it, not that complicated. It's more of a, like once you have the extension system in place, I was actually looking at that PR the other day. It was a bit of a monster getting the extension system in place. But then once that's there, <laughs> the rest of it like really just flows through easily. Yeah. Um, that's, yeah. So I, I mean, like, I think from everybody else say like, thank you. I think a lot of people were like, one of the big reasons I've seen, there's a lot of reasons people were excited about um, the new token program, but one of them is that um, the how how much this will impact the ability for people to start doing a little more with zk um, zero knowledge on on Solana, which which is a huge unlock, obviously, for people to be able to to do that. So, like, it's super exciting. Are we a, so are we as token program? The new token twenty two program is officially live in like running on all the validators now, fully audited or just not yet. <laughs> it's undergoing its final two audits currently. Okay. And um, it's going to require 1.17 on mainnet plus some features to be enabled before we will give like the full like, okay, this is good to go. Uh, we don't want to like recommend it without confidential transfers. Like that is to me one of like, that is the marquee feature that we want right. to, to showcase. So until that's available, we won't go ahead with like the full like, yes, official mainnet recommendation thing. Right. It is available on all networks for testing purposes. Testing purposes only, folks. Uh, well, yeah, man, that's exciting. I know this has sort of just been like, you'd hear it would like buzz up, be like, what happened to Token 22? And then like it would like not be talked about and then somebody else would randomly say it again. And it just like it was like this wave and like now like we're like sort of right around the corner. Um, which is super exciting. Um, all right, so let's token twenty two. Let's say all right, shipped. I got some capacity. What's John gonna do next? So um, the next thing that I'm really excited about, and it's funny, we could almost call it uh, token twenty twenty four or maybe twenty five. <laughs> we'll see. And maybe just do not do that. And make sure you're allowed uh, to say this like on the internet and like right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I mean, the idea is uh, <laughs> the idea is that um, there's a new runtime being constructed by uh, the runtime team, 
we're going to need programs for that runtime. We're going to need an SDK for that runtime for people to build their programs and link against others and things like that. That to me is probably going to be uh, the next thing that I'm going to be really excited about. And as part of that, we're going to need a new token program that works on runtime v2, right? And we're going to also need new educational content for all of this stuff. Uh-huh. Oh, so my job starts over. Great. Yeah. And so, you know, I was thinking if we're going to make another uh, a new token program for runtime v2, we're going to have to give it a name. <laughs> token 2069 just for safety measures. Yeah, we could do. I was thinking 2025, right? Because then you're totally sure. You're, please, please, John, stop. Because <laughs> you're not. Like the the deadline will be missed specifically because you said that out loud. Yeah, I know. I mean, I could say token 24 because it'll probably, well, I shouldn't say probably, but it would be nice if we got something out next year. Oh, uh, oh. Uh. Well, that's cool. That's exciting. Runtime V2, ladies and gentlemen. Um, this has been talked about for a while. Like, lots of stuff is changing. Um, obviously, I did want to ask you, like, like, Runtime V2, Fire Dancer, like, all these sort of incredible things are happening all at the same time. Like, maybe this isn't your world, but there's always a lot of questions out there. Be like, well, once Fire Dancer is live, won't won't everybody just use that? Or, but I think the part of the thing that's missed, and maybe you're involved in some of these discussions, but like the idea was essentially Fire Dancer can be built without having to test in prod, but the core lab, the core engineers will take a lot of the lessons learned from Fire Dancer to also enhance the the Solana Labs like validator, right? So it's like. You're watching somebody else build something more efficient than you, and then you take those lessons and translate those into Rust and then like optimize like in parallel. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's sort of the the big idea is like they're they have the fire dancer team has the luxury of being able to build things with some time from the ground up and know what the bottlenecks are in the current validator. Like the current validator was put together in order to be to work as quickly as possible. <laughs> and uh they've identified a lot of the bottlenecks and like we can start to um, integrate some of their findings, you know, be it, um, yeah, I don't know. Actually, I shouldn't say, cause I don't know specifically what right. uh, the team is planning on doing, but like any sort of techniques like using different instruction sets for uh, signature verification or perhaps uh, using different syscalls in order to more efficiently handle network packets, you know, things like that. And this, and like, I'm assuming that the, the, those that are like heavily focused on that or that have been following very closely along with the fire dancer team and all of their um optimizations yeah yeah they're they're pretty close on that um well, what's exciting man specifically done though <laughs> token pro new token program new runtime new validator um like just it's a little bit anxiety inducing um, just because new stuff means like new, a little bit more unknown things in the future, but like also at the same time, like crazy exciting. Um, yeah. The, uh, the way we like to, I wouldn't say we're, we're not ready to end the show yet, but I do have a couple questions for you. And like, it's a little different coming from a core engineer because like one of the questions I ask, um, and like, what sucks about building on Solana? Like, this just straight up, like, and even and, and answer this in any capacity that you want. Like, maybe being low level 
your challenges and the things that suck for you are way different than somebody that's building like a layer or two above that. This is this is open to interpretation. Like like what would make your life better? Like what's not great about like building on Solana? It it could be as much as just like building in such a greenfield space and like not have anything to compare it to. Uh, just as like a like a proposed thought. Hmm. I know this That's is harder for a core engineer because you're building infrastructure like for how things work versus like building on top of the things that like that are building down low. So maybe um, maybe you don't have something specific that sucks for you. I mean, the thing I, I mean, the the thing that comes top of mind, which is maybe things that something that people might not consider, which is. This thing is like the, the network is live. We cannot break things. <laughs> that is the toughest thing. The, that's like, it's not like uh, before mainnet was launched, where if you want to make a consensus breaking change, it's like, yeah, no problem. You just make like a 10 line code change. You're good. Now, if we want to make that 10 line code change, we need to wait six months for it uh, to actually hit mainnet, if not longer. Or yeah. um, we need to support like all sorts of old use cases because the network's running. We can't just like rug anything that's going on. As uh, I'm sure you were aware with the uh, upgrade to 1.16, we made a breakage somewhere and who oh boy, did we hear about it? <laughs> and like, trust me, I felt that pain too. I was, yeah. I had to spend a week in order to do it uh, for SPL. And that's already knowing all of the code and knowing like ahead of time what the changes were going to be. I can't imagine like for others, how much more difficult it was for them. Yeah. Well, that's, that's a good answer. Like, I guess, like, now that I'm thinking about it, speaking to um, a core engineer that I can probably rephrase, like, the next question is typically, like, what's great about building on Solana, which is typically means building on top of the stuff that you do. So let me rephrase this. Like, what excites you about building what you're building right now, like, for Solana? Like, what's, like, like you're still here, man. Like, you're you're still here. So there's a reason yeah, for that. I mean this uh, this will probably go back. I didn't uh, get the chance to say this, but like one of the reasons that I was really into uh, joining Solana all the way at the beginning was I looked at this thing and I noticed that it just freaking worked. Like that was the coolest thing. There are so many, uh, I'm not going to throw shade on any specific blockchains or anything like that, <laughs> but there's just like something that just works is really incredible. And also seeing sort of how hyped people can get about it, like hearing from my brother's friend who like didn't even know I was working at Solana, hearing him talk about it and him being like, oh man, yeah, I follow Anatoly on Twitter. He's so cool. <laughs> just like seeing how much excitement there is, it's it makes things really exciting. And like there is still such a big open space. Like Runtime V2, we have a vague idea of what that's going to look like, but I don't know what programs are going to look like for it yet. I don't know how they're going to get linked against the runtime, things like that. So they've got plans for it. But eventually, when you want to make an actual composable blockchain, there's like so many other things that need to be done. So um, yeah, we don't know where it's going to go. So that's probably the most exciting part. No, that's a cool answer. Um, and also, like we're pretty honest, and I'm pretty honest on this show. And when you say it just works, there were some times where it just didn't work. And those were not very fun times. Um, but like, this is why I like to talk about it, though. It's because, and I and I had Brian Long on here recently, and we were discussing some of this stuff. And it's like the amount of like just up like that. I think it was early twenty twenty two. The first sort of like little hiccup that uncovered like so much that took six months of research just to understand what it was. 
and then probably another six months to decide how it was going to be implemented. And then like all of those things like quick and global fee markets and all those things like that work took a long time, but it got done. And like, holy shit, that was like a stressful year and time. But like to, to, to the core engineers credits, to the validators credits, to all the ecosystem engineers that actually I know that there was a handful of them and I don't want to call anybody out specifically came in and also offered support to help figure that stuff out, um, write some code, solve some problems. Um, but that's what happens when you're building something that nobody's ever built before. Well, build it, build it before this fast. Um, and, and, and like at this level of decentral decentralization. So that's the stuff that's really cool to me. Um, but in those moments, they are not fun. I mean, you know, the, the network goes down, it happens. <laughs> So final question for you, and like, again, you're a core engineer, so it's going to be um, a little bit different of an answer maybe than some people, but like, what, what advice would you give to anybody that's looking to, to, to come and build either at your level or just like on Solana? Like, what sort of advice would you give those people? Because it's not like something that's going to necessarily come easy. We're in a whole new world here. Like, it's barely cared about by the majority of the world like what advice would you give somebody who wants to get in to building the types of systems that you're building right now honestly the number one thing and this is what i always tell people is just read the source like just read the code that is like by far the best thing that is how you'll be able to do the best contributions that is how you'll understand what's really going on half the time we'll be like oh how does this work i'm like i don't know just got to read the source uh, it's extremely daunting when you're first starting because you're like, where do I start? That's where typically like reaching out to someone over maybe the Solana tech discord in order to ask like where things are in the validator. Like that's not that I know we don't have like a perfect space in order to ask these questions just yet. The stack exchange is a good place. If you're wondering like, you know, where, where do gossip packets get routed? It's like, okay, well I can point you to that file or, you know, where, where do uh, transactions get replayed. Well, that's it's in replay stage, but like if you don't know that, you don't know that. So I would say read the source, submit PRs. That's like the best way to get engaged. And if you are engaged on Stack Exchange, John has probably answered at least one of your questions. I'm pretty sure you're like, where are you right now on the leaderboard for for Solana? Did you get? Have you gotten leapfrogged yet by a bunch of people? No. no. <laughs> <laughs> I always I do check it every once in a while. Hold on. Let me let me check over because yeah, I do, do like it. to let's see. Let's do it live. Let's see where 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 you land on the um, solana.stackexchange.com leaderboard in terms All of right. contributions. I am at, I'm at 7500 points and uh John is behind me at 5100 and Trent you're, at 4200. Oh sorry, I meant John from uh yeah, the other John from um Devrel. Is he on oh yeah. yeah okay awesome and then Trent top three anybody watching this you need to step up your game I'm always surprised that Trent is that high because he has way fewer answers than I do <laughs> maybe he just has better just quality than you man yeah that that is what it is I didn't want to say it but <laughs> all right man well uh that's the end of uh of the show thank you for uh finding the time to come on here i'm sure i'll get yelled at by uh, the rest of your team for stealing you away from uh your actual job and coming here but uh it's not always easy to get a core engineer to agree to come um and put their face on the internet uh so i really appreciate it man <laughs> i mean you could probably get trent to do it but he wouldn't show his face <laughs> that's yeah exactly 
I actually think I sent him a message and said, I know you probably say no, but will you do this? And he just never replied to me. So I took that as a no. Hmm. Maybe Carl would do it if you, again, <laughs> if you wouldn't show his face. <laughs> All right, man. Well, again, thanks for showing up. Thanks for being here. Thanks for everything you do, man. Um, thanks and for I'll having talk to me, you Chase. Later. Cheers. Bye.